is John 18, the verses 28 to 40. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, later this week, we will celebrate Easter. On Good Friday, we'll remember the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And on Easter Sunday, we will rejoice in his resurrection from the dead. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the basic facts upon which the Christian faith is based. Jesus suffered and died in order to pay the penalty for our sins. He bore God's wrath against our sins to redeem us, to restore us to God's favor. Jesus rose from the dead to show forth his victory over sin and death. Death could not hold Jesus in its grip. He is alive. He went up into heaven to reign as our victorious king. In John 18, we see what happened to the Lord on the night before he was crucified and put to death. John tells us about the suffering our Lord experienced that night. It involved being betrayed by Judas Iscariot, denied by Peter, and forsaken by all the disciples. Jesus faced the rejection of the Jewish leaders. They were not concerned with justice. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus, no matter what it took. 
It reminds us of what John wrote at the beginning of his gospel. He spoke of how Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Finally, the Jewish leaders led Jesus to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, in order to have him crucified. When we see all that happened to the Lord Jesus, it's easy to see him as a victim of circumstances. Jesus came into this world in a humble and lowly way. Jesus' whole life was characterized by lowliness. He was born to poor parents. As a baby, he was laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. He came from Nazareth in Galilee, a place despised by those living in Jerusalem. During his earthly ministry, Jesus went from place to place, preaching, healing, doing miracles. But he had no regular or permanent place to lay his head. From a worldly perspective, Jesus was unimpressive. Isaiah was right in the prophecy he made about Jesus in chapter 53. He was indeed despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. From a worldly perspective, Jesus seemed like a loser at the end of his life. His band of disciples forsook him, cowering in fear at his arrest by the authorities. Those with power and prestige among the Jews rejected him. The Romans were indifferent. Jesus' life meant little to them. Jesus was falsely arrested, unjustly condemned, shamefully treated, brutally beaten, and ultimately hung on a cross. And yet, in the midst of his suffering and death, John presents Jesus to us as a king. He presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. He shows us that Jesus is king over all the earth. You see, beloved, Jesus was not a victim of circumstances. He voluntarily walked the pathway of suffering. No one took Jesus' life from him. Jesus himself offered it up according to the eternal counsel and plan of God. Jesus gave his life for us so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Jesus went to the cross as our king. We'll see how Jesus is a righteous king, a heavenly king, and a self-sacrificing king. Many people looking at Jesus at the end of his public ministry saw him as a failed rabbi whose teachings finally got him rubbed out by the ruling authorities. Yeah, we need to, look, we need to learn to see Jesus from the proper perspective. We need to gaze on Jesus with the proper lenses on. From an earthly perspective, Jesus was no king. He didn't do what earthly kings do. He didn't establish himself as ruler or lord over anyone. 
Yet if we look at Jesus with biblical lenses on, if we see his place in redemptive history, if we look at him with eyes of faith, then we'll see him differently. We'll see and understand that he is Lord of lords and King of kings, worthy of all honor and glory and praise. One of the things John 18 highlights is that Jesus is a righteous king. While those who sought to murder him were wicked men who acted in unrighteous ways. The Jewish leaders wanted to have Jesus executed as quickly as possible. They were under time pressure. For the Passover and the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread were a holy convocation during which such proceedings were banned. And so in the verses leading up to our text, we see that the men who arrested Jesus took him to Annas, head of the high priestly family, for a preliminary hearing. It does not appear that this was a lawful assembly. Annas subjected Jesus to questioning, looking for material he could use to lay charges against him. John reports a twofold line of questioning. He writes, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Annas' purpose was to seek grounds to accuse Jesus of treason by raising up a rebel band against Romans' rule, or of heresy by teaching doctrines that corrupted the Jewish faith. Jesus responds by making it clear he didn't have any hidden agenda. Everything Jesus said, he spoke publicly. Jesus taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews came together. So Jesus challenged Anna, saying, Why do you ask me? All those who have heard me, all those who have heard me, heard what I said to them. They know what I said. Jesus knew how the legal system in Israel worked. If someone wanted to bring charges against you, they could. It was their responsibility to bring forth witnesses to corroborate the charges. Jesus was far too wise to give Annas anything that he might twist and use against him in this unlawful assembly. The frustration of the wicked men gathered around becomes clear in what happened next. John reports that one of the officers standing by Jesus struck him with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? But Jesus remained calm. He answered, saying, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? With his reply, Jesus demanded to be tried correctly under the law. Jewish law did not permit the direct questioning of the accused. It required a conviction to result from the testimony of at least two eyewitnesses. And so those who arrested Jesus took him off to stand trial before Caiaphas and the full Sanhedrin. John doesn't tell us all the details of Jesus' trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. You can read further about that in Matthew 26. What becomes clear is that despite having many false witnesses come forward, the Jewish leaders got nowhere in finding charges against Jesus. In the end, Caiaphas took matters in his own hands. He asked Jesus under oath 
Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Although Jesus was not obligated in any way to answer this question, he willingly testified that he was the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. On this basis, Caiaphas accused him of blasphemy because he claimed to be God. The Sanhedrin rendered their judgment. He is worthy of death. Again, those around Jesus subjected him to physical abuse. They spit in his face. They struck him and slapped him. The hatred of the Jewish leaders shines forth in their wicked actions. Beloved, we need to be clear about the fact that Jesus' trial before the Jewish authorities was a sham. According to Jewish law, the hearings conducted before Annas and Caiaphas were illegal gatherings. Jesus was arrested without proper charges, based on the witness of Judas, who had been bribed. Jesus was tried at night, while the law required daytime proceedings for capital cases. While the authorities looked diligently for false witnesses, they did not, according to the law, seek testimony in favor of the accused. Jesus was convicted by a unanimous vote, which Jewish legal rules considered evidence of a biased court. In reality, this was no trial. It was a bogus attempt to give legitimacy to sentencing Jesus to death. The Jews lived under the authority of the Romans. While for the most part they had freedom to govern themselves, they did not have authority to put anyone to death. For that, they had to come to the Romans. And so early in the morning, they took Jesus to Pontius Pilate at his headquarters. Pilate was the governor of Judea appointed by Tiberius Caesar in 26 AD. He was not a wise ruler. His policies often spurred public outrage and revolt. Yet he had the power of the Roman Empire behind him. Whenever anyone revolted, Pilate used his soldiers to savagely suppress the uprising. The fact that Jewish leaders had no basis on which to put Jesus to death becomes clear in how they approached Pontius Pilate. Pilate asked them, what, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. In other words, he's guilty. Just take our word for it. The Jewish leaders were not interested in going through any kind of judicial process with Pilate. They just wanted him to command that Jesus be taken away and crucified without due process. In telling us what happened, John shows not just the wickedness, but also the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. They did not enter the governor's headquarters, but they forced Pilate to come out to them. Do you know why? It's because they did not want to defile themselves according to the ceremonial law. Entering the home of a Gentile would make them ceremonially unclean. It would have prevented them from eating the Passover. The Jewish leaders were concerned about keeping the letter of the law. 
but they were completely unconcerned about murdering the Messiah, Jesus. It is ironic that they so badly wanted to keep the Passover feast. The Passover was a feast in which the Israelites remembered God's wondrous deliverance from Egypt. How the angel of death had passed over the houses with blood on the doorposts while killing all the firstborn of the Egyptians. And yet here, when God sent the true Paschal Lamb, the Jewish authorities wanted to kill him. Although he was innocent of any wrongdoing, they wanted to railroad Pilate into having him crucified without specifying what Jesus had done wrong. Pilate was not a complete idiot. He perceived that they did not have cause to convict Jesus under Roman law. He tells the Jews if they were not willing to specify what Jesus had done wrong, they could take him and convict him under their own law. They replied it was not lawful for them to put anyone to death. To satisfy Pilate, they told him that Jesus had claimed to be king of the Jews. Now to the Romans, this was a sensitive point. In Rome, there was no king but Caesar. What the Jews were claiming was that Jesus was a revolutionary, that he posed a threat to the Roman rule. The implication was that Jesus was gathering a following with the intent of revolting. After examining Jesus, Pilate renders his verdict. He said, I find no guilt in this man. This was the formal ruling of this court of law. It shows Jesus was innocent of the charges brought against him. Jesus was not a revolutionary who had come to lead the Jews in a fight against the hated Roman Empire. He was innocent of any wrongdoing. In fact, Jesus was perfectly righteous. Jesus never had nor committed any sin. He kept all God's commandments perfectly. He was a righteous man who was able to offer himself to God as a pure sacrifice to pay for our sins. This brings us to our second point, and it will see that Jesus is a heavenly king. In order to have Jesus convicted, the Jews told Pilate that Jesus had claimed to be the king of the Jews. Luke's gospel details their charges. They told Pilate, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Two of these claims were outright lies. Jesus had done nothing to subvert the people. And he commanded them to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Pilate questioned Jesus about the Jews' central claim. He asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, do you say this of your own accord or do others say it to you about me? Jesus asked this question to discern from what perspective Pilate was asking his question. If Pilate was asking if Jesus was a revolutionary against the Romans, the answer was no. 
But if Pilate was asking the question from a Jewish perspective, the answer was yes. For Jesus truly was the long-awaited king from the line of David. Pilate's answer revealed his disinterest in Jewish religious matters. He said, am I a Jew? Pilate was interested in whether or not Jesus posed any kind of threat against the sovereign rights of Caesar and his kingdom. This gives Jesus the opportunity to explain. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus begins his statement by speaking about my kingdom. By claiming to have a kingdom, Jesus made it clear that he was a king. Outwardly, it sure did not look like it. Jesus stood before Pilate as a prisoner, charged with being a criminal worthy of death. He had no emblems of worldly power. The Greek text emphasizes that Pilate did not think much of Jesus' claim to be a king. He asks, you? Are you a king? Many in the world today are also inclined to think little of Jesus' claims of kingship. They see that Jesus was some kind of nice guy. Perhaps a worthy example in some kind of spiritual way. But they don't see Jesus as a power to be reckoned with. Jesus explains that his kingdom is not of this world. If it was, then he and his servants would have fought so they would not have been delivered up to the hands of the Jews. But they didn't do that. Think back to earlier in John 18. Judas came with a band of soldiers and with officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. John uses a specific military term to describe this band of soldiers. It can be translated as a cohort, a battalion, or a whole garrison of troops. In the Roman army of those days, this term refers to the tenth part of a legion. A legion was 6,000 soldiers. So this battalion of soldiers normally numbered about 600 men. Even if the whole garrison of soldiers didn't come out, we know from Matthew's gospel that a great crowd with swords and clubs came out with Judas to arrest Jesus. Do you remember what happened to this large group of men who came out to arrest Jesus? Jesus asked them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Literally in the Greek, Jesus says, I am. It reminds us of all Jesus' I am statements in John's gospel. Statements that show us that Jesus was the great I am who I am. The Roman soldiers were not just trying to arrest the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. They were trying to arrest the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It becomes evidence in their response to Jesus' statement. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Imagine this band of soldiers and officers. 
These were competent men sent on a mission to arrest Jesus. Their hands were filled with torches and lanterns and swords and spears. Crash! Bang! Hundreds of soldiers and temple guards collapse in a noisy pile of swords and shields and lanterns and torches. And you know why? Because they encountered the sovereign king of heaven and earth. Just a few words from the mouth of Jesus Christ sent them reeling to the ground. When they persisted in trying to arrest Jesus, Peter had come to his defense. He drew his sword and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. Jesus told Peter to put away his sword. He said, do you not think I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? If Christ had not wanted to be arrested, he could have called on God to send many legions of angels to fight against the arresting party and to set Jesus free. The point, beloved, is that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. For his kingdom was not of this world. In the Bible, it is called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that Jesus established through his suffering and death. It's clear that Pilate did not understand what Jesus meant when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He sought clarification saying, so you are a king? Jesus replied, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In response to this, Pilate spoke some now famous words saying, what is truth? Pilate didn't care much about the truth. He was a very pragmatic man. In his mind, there was only one thing that gave the Romans authority and ability to rule over the world. It was power. It was military might that made them rulers of the then-known world. To Pilate, justice and truth and righteousness didn't matter. Yet Jesus was in the process of establishing his kingdom. It was not a direct threat against the political powers of the day. Jesus was not the type of revolutionary that the Jews accused him of being. He had not come to lead a band of men against the Roman authorities. Yet the heavenly kingdom that he was establishing would have revolutionary effect on the world of his day. Through the establishment of his kingdom, Jesus would change the hearts and lives of many. They would forsake their old way of life and would submit their lives to him as Savior and Lord. From history, we know that the gospel transformed much of Roman society. By the early 300s AD, Emperor Constantine declared Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. Yet one question remains. How would Jesus establish his kingdom? We deal with this in our final point, and we'll see how Jesus 
is a self-sacrificing king. Here's a real reason why it's so difficult to see Jesus as king. He won the victory for those who belong to him in a most unusual manner. He defeated his enemies not by exerting his power, but by laying down his life. It was through his suffering that Jesus would save. It was through his death that he would bring life. Our text makes it plain that Jesus voluntarily walked the pathway of suffering, for he knew it was his Father's will. It was part of God's plan of redemption. Redemption from what? From sin and Satan and death. There's only one way for Jesus to save us from our sins, to deliver us from the mastery of Satan, to set us free from the fear of death. It was by allowing himself to be a sacrifice for our sins. To do that, Jesus subjected himself to a false arrest, to a crooked trial, and to an unjust sentence. In the last verses of our text, we see the extent to which the Jewish leaders are willing to go to have Jesus crucified. Pilate declared Jesus to be not guilty of the charge of being a revolutionary. While Jesus claimed to be a king, Pilate knew he was no threat to the Romans' rule over Judea. So he was ready to let him go. Now it was customary for the Romans to release one prisoner at the time of the Passover feast. Pilate gave the Jews a choice. Either he would release Jesus or Barabbas. Barabbas was a condemned criminal. John calls him a robber. But he was more than that. Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner. Luke says that he was a man thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. He was a real revolutionary, a man who truly deserved to die. Yet the Jewish leaders, in utter hypocrisy, cried for Pilate to set Barabbas free and to condemn Jesus. This sinner was set free. And Jesus, the righteous one, died in his place. Christ was sentenced to death through crucifixion. He was hung on the cross that Barabbas deserved. This is a picture of what Jesus did for you and me and for all who believe in him. Though we are guilty of many sins and deserve to come under God's condemnation, Jesus took our place. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Earlier, Jesus had spoken to his disciples saying, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus voluntarily walked the pathway of suffering and death for our sake. It's only by serving as a self-sacrificing king that Jesus would be able to establish his kingdom.
Through his suffering and death, Jesus established the kingdom of God. By his resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit, he would begin a new work among all the tribes and nations on earth. Jesus was going to work change in people's hearts. Jesus was going to give new life to all those who believed in him, turning them from their sins to serve the living God. He would draw many from out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thus, Jesus established his kingdom. He now rules from the throne at God's right hand. And through the ages, millions of people have gladly submitted their hearts and their lives to him. Beloved, as we approach Easter, let us learn to look on Jesus with eyes of faith. Let us see him as he really is. Jesus is not a failed rabbi whose life was stolen from him. He went to the cross as our king. Jesus voluntarily walked the pathway of suffering and death in order to bring us life and light. Jesus now rules as Lord of lords and King of kings. Despite all the uncertainty and the anxiety that we experience in our lives, Jesus is in charge of everything that happens on this earth. And we find our comfort and hope in Jesus Christ, our King. May we have confidence in his rule over this world and over our lives. Amen.